doors, you kick down walls. And anyone who tells you, you can't, you take your fears, your insecurities, your worries, you roll them all up into a ball, you turn those son bitches sideways and stick them straight up, then candy out! Pick your goal and stick fucking to it. You wishy-washy motherfuckers. I can't fucking stand you. I wanted to make sure that out of the 24 hours of the day, that I don't waste one single hour. Those hours were too precious. And so there I just want to tell people, don't give me this thing, I have a difficult time, I the time, and I don't have time for this, and I don't have that. You have time. You make the time. And now, welcome to the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast, sponsored by fitnessinformant.com. And he kill it while you sitting down, bitch, about how I triple my fan base Now worth, bitch, can't say dad's worst, bitch Do something, fuck it, I prove something Don't What's going on, it? Welcome inside the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast We are back, live at the FIHQ here in Golden Valley, Minnesota That is right, chilling in 2020 Appreciate you guys all sticking along with us for the ride And the, uh, the slight break that we took in podcast A lot of stuff has been going on in my life that I will address in, in, in a timely manner, but now is not the time or the place. The dietary supplement industry was shaken this last couple of weeks over a uh, federal indictment on ABH Nature's products, ABH Pharma, um, and there's a .com with that as well, in which a contract manufacturer, manufacturing for many brands, um, w- received many different, I guess, um, we could call it CFR 111 violations and didn't correct them. And the FDA said, okay, we're going to force a, a nationwide recall on your behalf, and there's 859 brands that show up on this list of this uh, nationwide recall. Many of them on there, probably deservingly so. Some of them on there unfairly. Brands that we work with here at FI, a couple of them are on there unfairly uh, as we reached out to the brands and determined more. But we thought it'd be a good idea to address this more and uh, educate the consumers on what does this mean for you, especially if you've been using these products and what you can look for in terms of brands moving forward. Because let's be honest, brands are going to use contract manufacturers. It's what we do in this industry. We need contract manufacturing for this industry to continue. Not everybody can manufacture their own products like Mark Glazer or like Jason over at Muscle Sport. Um, But we thought, hey, Mark Glazer is a a guy who's been on the podcast before. He's a friend of the family here at the Fitness Informant. He has a very good understanding of CFR 111. He has a very good understanding of good manufacturing processes and and procedures and GMP. So let's have him come on and let's talk about it. Now, some people out there might be thinking, okay, Mark is going to use this as a a platform and avenue to market NutriBio in terms of he is manufacturing his own products, so therefore he can be trusted. Mark doesn't do that on the podcast. Um, We talk about really what this means and what what these recalls mean for the industry and what brand owners and future brand owners can do in terms of homework when it comes to vetting out contract manufacturing because that's the biggest thing. You know, Jackie Chan, not the actor, but the kid sitting in his basement scrolling through Instagram sees an ad for a dietary supplement contract manufacturer and realizes, hey, I can be rich tomorrow. I can, I can Google a pre-workout formula. I can have this company make it, and I'm going to be rich. Well, there's so much more to dietary supplements than just a formula and a package design and a label and marketing. Like, you have to understand who's making your products. Mark goes over a checklist on what brands should do if they're looking to get inside this dietary supplement industry. Listen, me personally, I've been in this industry now uh, since 2014. So six years um, with a, a, a little break in there, but six years connected to the industry. And there are things that Mark told me in today's podcast that I even didn't know. 
And I'm not going to. I'm a marketing guy. I'm a brand guy. I'm a formula guy. I'm not a manufacturing guy. I wouldn't even know where the fuck to start when it came to manufacturing. If I wanted to manufacture supplements, you know what I'd do? I would call Mark Glazer and say, Mark, can you manufacture it for me? Do you know something that can, something that you trust? Because I don't know walking into a facility what to look for and what not to. I understand that that employees need to suit up and wear hairnets and gloves, et cetera, and, and, and the, the batches need to, be, need to be tested. I get all that. But the intricacies of what has to actually go into it um, is a lot more detailed than that. Mark goes into that. It's just a good episode to refresh and remind us that there is FDA involvement within our industry. We are regulated in the industry. It is enforced in the industry. This is not the wild, wild west. We do have times in which we uh, you know, obviously need FDA's involvement. In this case, we needed it. You had adulterated products because um, you know they could have contained heavy metals or contaminants, or they could have the formula could have been altered in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't necessarily mean that they were harmful by any means, but it's something we should talk about. And we still don't necessarily know the next steps, um, but we want to get Mark on here to talk about it as quickly as possible and to see like what what really um, what really happens, you know, now at this point. So I'm going to uh, quiet down, bring on the CEO of NutriBio to talk about the um, ABH Pharma indictment and the recall and what that means for you as a consumer, what it means for brands out there who are looking to contract manufacture their next line of supplements. And uh, and we also do get a chance to touch on a little bit about NutriBio at the end of the show, but we don't spend a lot of time on NutriBio. This is not a self-promotional podcast at this point. This is an educational podcast featuring the one and only Mark Glazer. Close that damn door. Let's hit these people with some knowledge. Slap everybody in the ass with some knowledge on Ray's Energy. Fact number one, we have neurotropics added to ours, alpha GPC and tyrosine. These are active ingredients that actually pass the blood-brain barrier and calls for efficient focus. Next is caffeine. We're the only energy drink company that uses two different forms of caffeine. Caffeine citrate to hit you fast and caffeine anhydrous to hit you slow. Got any pee? Oh, you dropped it. What don't we want? We don't want wrinkles. Sugar causes wrinkles and that's what we do not want. We have zero sugar in our raised energy. We also have the lowest count of sodium out of all the energy drinks on the market. Make sure you stop and pick up your raised energy and demand more. This is your personal invitation to the Redcon 1 Alpha Team, our new exclusive subscription program. Enjoy members-only access to the Alpha Team apparel collection, priority customer service privileges, early shopping on major deals, exclusive flavor selections, and a whole lot more. This is your opportunity to become a Redcon 1 VIP. There's limited spots available, so go to redcon1.com and sign up today. Supercharge your workout with the power of SST Pre.
get it at GNC today. The man is back. I think this is like the fourth time, third or fourth time now, Mark, that you've been on the BM Forum Live Fit podcast. But today's podcast is a, a little bit different than ones prior. It's not, it's not necessarily your story and Nutribio's story and what Nutribio's got going on, but it's a story of the industry. And the industry was shaken, I guess you could say, in the last couple of weeks. Um, for those listening, the FDA, uh, for, th- for those of you who say that there's no regulation within sports nutrition, I think this last year has gone to show that there's been quite a bit, at least enforcement, on things, Mark, in, in the last couple of weeks, a company by the name of ABH Nature's Products or ABH Pharma um, manufactured supplements for many brands, but 859 brands ended up on a list of a national recall from the FDA. And uh, you've been quoted on your Facebook page saying it's the largest recall or largest incident that you've ever seen since in your 20 plus years in the, in the industry. Yeah, I, I don't mean largest by the amount of maybe actual recalls, but the scope of it. You know, I've never really seen the FDA go in and I've seen them close down manufacturing facilities, but not actually recall products going back seven years from 859 companies. Right. So the scope of this is, you know, it's pretty large compared to anything I've ever seen before by far. For you in, in the standpoint where you're at, and we're going to get into a lot of different things, but you are an expert of CFR 111. I mean, you talk about it all the time and you, you toss out CFR 111 and people are like, what, what, the, what the hell does that mean? Like, what is CFR 111? Can you, in layman's terms, explain to the listening audience what exactly is CFR 111? Yeah, so I mean, everybody always talks in the media about how we have no rules and regulations. There are a lot of rules and regulations. Just about every part of this industry is. We have CFR 111, which is the GMP, you know, that's the buzzword, good manufacturing practice, or CGMP, current good manufacturing regulations for the manufacturing, labeling, uh, storing of a dietary supplement. Mm -hmm. So there's rules and regulations for foods, for drugs. CFR 110, I believe, is for foods. So most contract manufacturers and manufacturers have to do both because they might have uh, bars that they're manufacturing, they might have functional foods that they're manufacturing. So that goes under 110. 111 is, is the manufacturing rules and guidelines for dietary supplements. And there's over 80 subsections of that. So it's very, very intense what we have to do as far as testing raw materials, testing finished products, all the in-process production uh, procedures that we have to follow. Everything is guidelined out that to make sure that a process is put in place that's a repeatable process where every person in the, in the company is trained on each one of those processes and we have training logs for each one of those processes so they have repeatability. So right. when you start with a good ingredient and come out with a finished product, that repeated process over and over again produces the same result and a finished product that pass. The FDA has audited you several times. Um, I think recently, like last year during FIBO, I, I believe it was one time where you had to stay home. It was either FIBO or maybe it was Body Power. One of those, you had to stay home because it was like a week-long audit uh, that yeah, was exhausting for you. April 1st, they popped in. Yeah. And uh, they were here three weeks. So three weeks. Just for the listening three audience, the FDA yeah. was at Mark's manufacturing facility for three weeks. Now, Mark's facility, it's large, but it's not – I don't know how big ABH was by any means. But 
for three weeks, spending time in there. What are they looking for? They're looking for exactly that. They're looking to see that the processes and procedures that we put into place are being followed. Okay. Uh, and they look at every aspect. For to give me an example, what they'll do is they'll pull a list of every batch we've produced for the last, let's say, two years or since they were here last year to 18 months, and they'll pull 50 batches out. And we'll have to provide them with the batch production records. That's the exact formula, formulation, manufacturing, everything, every room that it's gone to, every employee that's been involved, every ingredient, every component, everything that was put into that batch and the process of it, and all of the documents that support it. So if there were 20 ingredients, we'll have to include with that the raw material identity testing for it, the raw material uh, strength and and, uh, composition testing for it. We'll have to provide all SOP that were involved in it. We'll have to provide the finished product test at the end of it. Uh, And then they'll look at every single part of it. And they'll spend hours sometimes on each one of those to see if we are following every single process and if we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing there from maintenance of the machinery that's in there to uh, sanitizing of the rooms and the machinery that's in there. All of that stuff has to be logged, logged. and they're going to look at all of those logs. In this last audit, the woman took our logs for sanitizing machinery and our rooms. And I mean, these logs were this thick. And she went back over a year and she spent two or three days on that. And she actually timed and went down. She didn't scan it. She went down every single entry and said, so when we started machine A, and when we finished and how long it took. Mm-hmm. And then she red flagged anything that was in, it wasn't in that same amount of time. So if we were taking 40 minutes to process this, to sanitize this machine, and one day it was in 30 minutes, she wanted to know why each and every time, and we'd have, have to have an explanation. It is a detailed, detailed audit. And it's not just that part of it. You know, they're looking at every SOP. If we put in SOPs in our production that are not required by CFR 111, they will still audit for those, even though they don't, they're not requiring it. But once we put it in an SOP, it becomes part of our manufacturing process. They're looking for that repeatable manufacturing process. So if we put something in, we still have to do that. And they will issue a 483 or possibly a warning letter for not following a procedure that we've put in that they don't require because they require us to follow that entire process. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pretty, pretty tough inspection. Just for the people listening or watching, SOP means what? Standard operating procedure. Yeah. Okay. I, I figured that much. Um, how many people come in, like in your so facility? Just to go over sta- what that means is, it's not standard operating procedure is not something I just say yeah. tell my people to do. It gets. I don't know if you can see here. Yeah. These are my. Can you see up there? Yep. These are all my SOPs. Right. These are my original versions locked in my in my office. Every single process that we have in this facility. From the testing, from the lab, to every process in sanitation, every single room, every procedure has to be written up in here in detail. Mm-hmm. Every single employee that uses any of those processes has to be trained and has to be signed off and logged for a specific amount of time. Once they expire that time of training, they're not allowed to do that process anymore. And the FDA will spend days looking over those procedures and the training logs of every employee who was involved in those procedures to make sure they're up to date. So. People throw out that term SOP and consumers think, oh, it's just somebody saying, oh, yeah, you got to clean that machine over there. No, right. it's every single step in that machine. Who yeah. writes the SOPs for you guys? I mean, I mean, you guys, those are thick, by the way. In case you aren't watching via YouTube, uh, they are thick. They, I mean, they are probably a good six inches thick. I mean, in terms yeah, of paperwork. I have, about 50, I have about 15 of them. Up yeah. There, so. so in terms of writing those out, I mean, when you first started manufacturing your own dietary supplements, did you have to bring in an FDA expert or somebody that was an expert on these practices to say we need to No, the CFR wasn't, wasn't around back then. Sure. So when, so when CFR 111 was CFR 111 came in 2008, we started in manufacturing 2001. 
So in so 2008, when from 2001 to 2008, when 2008 happened and CFR 111 was was initiated, um, what what did you do? Like the rest of the industry did, freaked out. Uh, the FDA didn't start uh, inspecting right away. They gave a certain amount of one or two, three years, depending on the size of the company, for everybody to jump in. And the issue with uh, with CFR 111 is it tells you exactly what you have to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It says you have to prevent cross contamination. Doesn't tell you exactly how to do that. Yeah. So the industry has to run around and say, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, what what procedures? And that was the hard part in the beginning is when these inspectors came in to coordinate what we were doing with what they expected. And a lot of times they didn't know how to get that done either. Now there's a lot of uh, best industry practices mm-hmm. that are put in that the FDA kind of accepts. Like we have to identify an ingredient. So let's say a, a pallet of creatine comes in. Mm-hmm. We have to identify every single lot. Well, we just take one sample from that pallet that has 40 containers on it, the FDA is not happy. They want a representative sample. So how many of those containers? Every container? So an example is for that, you count your containers, you take the square root of the amount of containers, you add one to it, and that's how many of those you have to sample. So that's an idea of an example of a best industry practice that the FDA and business has kind of adopted. Now, you don't have to do that, but when the FDA comes in, you have to prove that you have taken identity testing of a rep- representative sample of the entire lot. Yeah. That was the hard part in the beginning is nobody knew exactly how to do that because the rule does not say to do that. You just right. have to prove that you're accomplishing it. Well, the important thing to understand if you're listening to this or watching this is there are rules in place. CFR 111 puts down the rules that contract manufacturers, people like Mark who manufactures their own dietary supplements, they have to follow. And what happened in the case of ABH, I believe there were seven infractions that were never corrected. Um, don't quote me on that. It's something around that. But um, how when, when, when the FDA comes in and, and gives you an infraction or a warning letter or a violation of CFR 111, what, what, what's the next steps a company or a brand is supposed to take to rectify that situation? Well, if you get a 483, they give it to you right there before they leave. Uh, and you can take up to a few weeks that you have to answer that and you have to send corrective action. Now, you don't have to do that. There's no law that says you have to... You have to correct it right away. You have to respond to the FDA within a certain amount of time. But if you don't, you can expect a warning letter to come after that. So the FDA is is fairly lenient as long as there's not something there that's really endangering somebody's life right then. Then you'll get a closure, a warning letter, something like that. But a, a 483 could be in something as simple as they found one out of 50 documents wasn't signed off on. So they don't believe that you, you really went through that entire procedure and you okay. need to be retrained. So they'll put it a 483 saying did not follow this particular process because one out of 100 wasn't done, and you have to correct that, and they give you a little time. If you correct it, uh, they will not come back after you usually, but then they will issue a establishment uh, report, and that report could be an inch thick. Sure. And that report comes to you and tells you everything that inspector did and found through that entire inspection. So you can actually read through a document, and that's one of the things that we were saying that a uh, brand owner should do in a GMP audit, should look at these past uh, inspections, review the 483s, review the corrective actions, see if there's any warning letters, see if the corrective action was accepted by the FDA, and read through these AARs, uh, establishing inspection reports, because uh, so, they detail everything about it. So if the corrective action is not accepted by the FDA, they can still issue that warning letter? Yeah, that's what happened with, with uh, ABH. If you look, there was a warning letter, and if you look at the indictment itself, you'll see how they bring up the, each aspect of the warning letter, and they show how they did not correct that action. So, for example, they didn't. We talked about identity. We'll stay on that. They didn't do identity testing, at least one test on every single batch that came in. They did not have good corrective action. They did not fix that. 
They did not do finished product testing. In other words, they did not verify the purity, strength, composition, and identity of every finished product, which is also required by CFR 111. Mm -hmm. They did not correct that action either. So, you know, they were given an opportunity to correct these things, but they did not correct them. That's when they got their closure. So for the consumers at home who have purchased a product from one of the brands listed on the list, and we'll get, we'll get to the number of brands and the severity of each brand because we don't necessarily know each brand's um, involvement with ABH. So we, we can't just necessarily say because they're on there, they're a bad manufacturer, they're a bad brand. That's not necessarily true. But what we can say is like if you've purchased something from one of those brands, there's a high likelihood that that batch was not tested for, for, for final batch testing. So you may not have gotten actually what – you think you were getting is that correct yeah I, I think it's it goes a little further beyond that and that's kind of uh what i'm trying to get the brand owners to understand in the industry even if you test even if all 859 of those companies are recalled test every single product to make sure it, it it passes label claim test for microbial test for heavy metals make sure there's no contamination it is still an adulterated product the fda is not going to say okay it's good now mm -hmm. so they cannot go back and prove their product good through testing now the law is we have CFR 111, which is the regulation, but the code, the U.S. code, which are the laws themselves, right. the code says, it's called, uh, USC 342, that says a dietary supplement is deemed adulterated, and this is only one of the many things, right. if it's manufactured, packed, labeled in a facility that does not comply with CFR 1 GMP, CGMP regulations. So the, the, the fact that it was manufactured there deems it adulterated not just the testing at the end, because you can test that product for purity and potency, you can test it for contaminants, that doesn't mean that the product doesn't have, wasn't made in a facility that had DHEA in it, somebody's gonna fail, or gluten in it. What makes a product not, be, not adulterated is the fact that it's made in a facility that has all of these processes, all these procedures that prevent every possibility or as many possibilities as we can, and those are followed straight through. Right. So that's the problem with the question, because I, I had probably 25 or so companies contact me right after ABH, and none of them realized that. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, I, we can just test our products. No, you can't just test your products. If that, if that product came out of a manufacturing facility three years ago, and you've never really checked them out, and they're not complying with CFR 111 and CGPs, and the FDA gets in there, your product can be recalled. We don't know how far back. This is the longest I've seen, seven years. That's pretty insane. If you're a brand, and you most brands don't manufacture their own dietary supplements like you, Mark, and most brands are going to go out and use a contract manufacturer. What checklist? I mean, what are the things that they need to look for? Well, first, you know, I manufacture my own products, and everybody knows why. I talk about it all the time, but I'm not putting down or attacking contract manufacturers. Right. This industry needs them. It would not be here without contract manufacturing. Uh, could have been 20 years ago, maybe, where it was the Wild West, but with all these regulations, it's not just CFR 111, it's CFR 110, CFR 101, CFR 100. It's uh, FISMA that came out recently, Food uh, mm -hmm. Safety Modernization Act. It's the DeShea Act. There's loads and loads and loads of acts here and rules and regulations we have to follow. No brand can really go out and do that now. It's almost impossible for a brand to start up and the entrepreneur to say, okay, I'm going to manufacture. He's going to be failing, failing, failing for years. Right. So contract manufacturing is a major important part of this industry. For uh, a company, though, a lot of brand owners don't realize that once they send their product to a, a CMO, a contract manufacturer, and get it back, that they are still not responsible for that product. They, they think it rely, they can rely on the manufacturer. They can't rely on the manufacturer. They have to do their due diligence. They have to test it. They have to go to that manufacturer and make sure it's GMP uh, compliant. And they most don't do that. Right. Don't do that. And that's where they get in trouble. What would I tell them to do? 
Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, well, most don't know that, right? Like most will see most will see something on Instagram or see how well you're doing and be like, I want to get into that space. And right. they'll find the cheapest company that'll run a, a lot of 144, whatever it might be, and just just pay the fee up front, and not care about the other stuff. Right, but and I mean, they'll go online and they'll see a beautiful facility on you know on a website, and mm-hmm. then they'll go manufacture. There's good, bad, and ugly in this industry, yeah. like in any industry, in any segment of any industry in this in this on this planet. The good guys are, are out there, and there's the bad guys, and there always will be. It's the brand owner's responsibility to figure that out. So, I mean, and if you look at ABH, if I was a brand owner right now, and I was going to pick a uh, contract manufacturer. The first thing I would do is I would make a call to the contract manufacturer mm-hmm. and I would make sure that my product can be manufactured there, you know, through uh, the products I want. Do they do liquids? Do they do tablets? Just make sure we, we work together in that area. And then I would start asking questions about how long that facility is around. Who are the owners of that facility? Right. Who's the president? I'd want to speak to the people in the compliance department, get their names. What is the legal name of their company? Do they have any other facilities? Do they have any other branches? <laughs> I would get as much information, any certifications they have, non-GMO, kosher, CGMP audits, uh, anything from vegan to vegetarian to any of that, even if I don't need it. Because what I'm looking for is verifiable points. Because I'm going to be taking notes on everything I can get. When I'm done, I go to their website and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now I just go to Google and I start searching each of the company names and see what comes up. Had you done that for ABH, you would have found warning letters, 483s, loads of customer complaints, salmonella recalls, and stuff like that. I would then do every one of those uh, key people within the company, see what their background is, see if they were ever arrested, see where where they are. If this company opened six months ago and all the key people in the company weren't even in this industry, you really don't want to be there. So you start doing a Google search of all of this stuff and you get good and bad, and that's where you start. Then what I would do is I'd call back the, the company and say, I would verify every certification they have, whether I want it or not, because each of those certifications is another point that I can validate that company. I don't care if it's organic because I don't do organic, but I'm going to check their association to make sure it is because now I have another verifiable point. From then on in, I would do I would not tell a brand owner to go hire a consultant yet. Mm-hmm. I would say get in an airplane, get in a car, and go down to the facility because right. you, me, anybody <clears throat> in my here can walk into a facility and just say, oh, there's a problem here like that without being GMP genius. I've walked into many facilities. I posted a picture of one a few weeks ago that we were going to talk about. Yep. When you walk in, the doors are open. People don't have gloves on. There's garbage all over the place. So you, you, you do that quick audit yourself to see, well, yeah, before I spend 10000 I can see I, I don't want my product in this place. And then you sit down and you talk to all the people that you interviewed the first time around. So now you have a good gut feeling that, yeah, this company can manufacture what I want. The MOQs are fine. All that part of it is fine. They can flavor, do all that. I've done a full due diligence uh, research on the internet. I've gone down down there. I visited. I found nothing wrong in there. They've answered all my questions. All the red flags were answered. Okay, I'm fine with this facility. That's just to get to the first point. Now what you've got to do is get is do a CGMP audit. Every brand owner must do a CGMP audit of that facility. A site audit, a site inspection, and a GMP audit. Now not, nobody's really qualified to do that. So. I recommend going out and hiring a, a CGMP consultant, not not a, a general industry consultant who does marketing and everything else, because they're not going to have the in-depth knowledge right. of CGMP. They need to get a serious auditor, and that's going to cost money. But you know, this is your livelihood. I look at some of these guys who are building their entire life over a brand, and they're serious about it. Two, three, five, ten years down the line, that brand can close up like that because they picked the wrong contract manufacturer mm-hmm. to do it. So that CGMP audit by a professional auditor who understands it is very important. 
And I would never hire a contract manufacturer without doing that. And contract manufacturers that say no to that, you want, you got to run from. Right. Any good contract manufacturer understands the necessity of audits and will allow that and be and partake in it and be happy that you're doing it. I would venture to guess that most people don't hire somebody to do an audit. And I, and I recall my time at General Mills. Anytime we manufactured a new product or a product at a new facility, an audit was obviously <coughs> a requirement from us. And even when we switched from a facility and went back to a facility that we'd already previously done an audit on, we had to re-audit them again when we decided to bring our products back to make sure that nothing's changed since the original audit. So I don't know if that's – how many people do that within sports nutrition because it doesn't. it's not cheap. And most brand owners probably have no idea where to start, what to ask. So it's good that you laid out these, some of these questions because I bet you there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this like, mm, I've never done that. You know, should I, should I worry? The second part, what you just said, that's the initial audit to pre-qualify or qualify for, for them to manufacture your product. Right. And bare minimum, it should be about an annual re-audit where you're going down there. Now you're doing additional things. Besides a, a GMP audit of the general facility, the policies, procedures, you also want to say, okay, let's look at my batches because you want to make sure your batch is done right. right. There's something called an MMR, a master manufacturing record. And that is that formula of what you two agree on. Every component, every active, every inactive, every plastic that's used in there, every manufacturing point of that. You want to approve that before you even pr produce the first right. product. And you want to sign off on that and you want to copy that because that's going to tell you the ingredients that are in there, the potency of the ingredients in there, the manufacturers of the ingredients that are in there. And if they change anything on that, you need to require that they give you a new copy and you sign off because they can switch. Look at prop blends and guys who do not give a shit, right? Mm -hmm. There's a prop blend in there with four ingredients. The first ingredient is a cheap one. Well, the manufacturer might start with putting more of that in there. And then six months and a year later, they start decreasing it. It doesn't change the product. You can't tell on the label. The total dosage is the same. That prop blend is right. still four grams, but they're changing the formulation. You want to be able to verify that they are not doing that to you, and that's what you do. You look at that MMR, and they, they have to validate that, and they have to give you copies. And then you look at the batch production on your audit. If I went into a facility that made 50 uh, batches for me last year, I would be auditing probably – 20 to 30. I want to see that's the actual manufacturing batch that tells me every ingredient. That tells me if I ordered Creapure, well, hold on. My MMR said Creapure on there. This just says creatine. I don't even know who this manufacturer right. is. That's what you're auditing to make sure the ingredients that you want are in there and every portion of what you want done is in there. And I would audit every one of those. I would audit uh, any of their prior uh, audits that they had from the FDA, looking over those 483s we talked about, looking over corrective actions, looking over the eight um, warning letters. And I want to see that. I want them to show that to me if, if anything happened between year one, year two, and year three. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you establish that your product is really being manufactured in a company that's compliant. And that means your product will be compliant. Label press shut day. Special edition burn, burn black. This is the most over-engineered system of all time. Love California. Love sea turtles. Hate What's up, guys? LA Fit Expo 2020. Here to have a good time. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Mike do this, yo. We're gonna hang out with Sony. For the last two decades, we have been the best kept secret of the supplement industry. We've kept our heads down and worked. We pioneered full label transparency and full therapeutic doses because we believe that truly hard work requires truly effective tools. Two decades is a long time to commit to one pursuit, but when you act with purpose and become centered in yourself, eventually you realize that you were born and bred for this.
things you once thought impossible, you now do every day. We don't like the easy way, just doesn't feel right. We'll take the long, hard road over a shortcut any day. It takes longer, sure, but in the end, you know you earned it. And with the right team behind you, pushing yourself further than you've ever been will be just another afternoon doing what you love most. I've spent most of my life chasing what's termed as unattainable. An obstacle in my path, I torment it. Any limitation trying to control my environment, I tame it. Any excuses I transform into commitments. The haters, they're too small for me to even see. For 28 months before Cage Muscle even released, I broke myself against the will to identify, track, test, and trial the ultimate resources available in human existence to bring you something the world has never seen. Change is upon us. Don't justify your complacency. Evolve with me. Part animal, part machine. I'm Chris Gethin, and I am Cage Muscle. Consumers listening to this are probably thinking right now, like, how in the hell do I even know if my stuff is what I'm actually getting? I mean, at this point, like, how do I know that my stuff's being tested? How do I know that my stuff is following these guidelines? Like, how do I know the brand that I believe in is, is like, I'm getting what I'm supposed to be getting? And I think the easy answer to that, some people are like, well, go with a company that manufactures their own supplements, like Nutribile. <coughs> but not to discredit what you do at all, Mark, but even if you manufacture your own supplements, you can still get away with shit. Like, you can still, no. if you want, you can definitely still get away with stuff. So just because you manufacture your own dietary supplements doesn't necessarily mean it's the highest quality and, and everything in, in general. I've seen your facility. I've walked through your facility. Um, the reason why most brands decide not to manufacture their own supplements is because it's not cheap. Like, the equipment and the money that you put into the manufacturing arm of Nutribio is upwards of what in terms of a dollar amount? Just to give people an idea on, on why Millions. people don't do it. Yeah. Millions. A better idea is the focus. 70 or more percent of my time is focused on the manufacturing, not right. on the marketing of, of the product. So you walk to my facility, I have 87 employees. You know, 60 of them are in the manufacturing part. So there, that's where the energy and the focus goes, goes for me. It takes away from the marketing and the sales effort. Mm. You put the proper people in there, but it's a different focus of a company. Yeah. Uh, but once again, you know, contract manufacturing is versus manufacturing yourself isn't really the difference. I do it because I want to control it. I right. want to see it. Okay. I still now we are rejecting close to 10% of every raw material that comes in here. It doesn't mean it's from China. It could be right here from the U.S. It could be from a multi-billion-dollar company with incredible regulatory. We are still 
rejecting close to went from eight up to 10% of the ingredients. So that's what I wanna do. I don't want anybody picking those ingredients for me. And a good brands these days will actually do that. They will source a lot of their own ingredients and they will tell their CMO where they want their creatine, their glutamine from, where they want different ingredients from. They'll source their own and ensure that they're getting them. And then they'll do due diligence, not just on the contract manufacturer, but on the brands of the ingredients that they're, that they're putting in their products. So, I mean, it's just an important part of making sure that that product is, is what it's supposed to be. Right. Let's talk about the list real quick of 859 brands, and, and the consumers are wondering, like, what, what's this recall mean? And I don't think there's been any clarification on what it means yet and, and how it impacts the consumer. But the way it was written up, it seems like any, anything created or anything manufactured from January 2012 to November of 2019 um, you know, was, was flagged. And most consumers that had you know, consumed something back in 2012, they don't have it anymore. Um, so uh, do you have any inside information on like what we can expect in terms of what the recall actually means and how brands may or may not be impacted by it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, out of those 859, uh, that doesn't mean they're all bad. We're right. already seeing companies that come out that you and I know of uh, who might have contacted them. Uh, use them for one batch and fail that batch and never use them again. Their name is going to be on there. So don't go running out seeing, you know, one of your brands that you're using on that list and start screaming and, you know, call that company up immediately and ask them for their response because they're going to have to give a public response. Mm -hmm. And that public response might be, hey, we never used them. Uh, I spoke to somebody today whose name is on that list. Now, here's something very interesting. Even if the FDA doesn't force a recall, they just put this out there and say, okay, you got to do it and they don't keep enforcing it. Other companies are. Amazon has already started to. I know of two companies now, one that called me today, that Amazon pulled every product off of Amazon and is issuing a refund for every sale going wow. back to 2013. So Amazon is now jumping in here, even if the FDA forced it but is not enforcing it now, and they're going to just let it go, and we don't know that. They might right. go after each one of these companies. But larger companies, you might find you know, Costco and Walmart and other companies start to do the same thing that Amazon is. Mm. And I heard from somebody else today that a second company's got that. So I'm guessing they're going to go through all of those companies. Mm. So think what that means to that, to that, to that brand. Yeah. They just had every product taken off of Amazon, and Amazon is refunding every customer going back all the time. They're going to go after that brand. Now, that brand has to prove something that those products weren't manufactured there. Right. They might not have been manufactured there. So it's going to hit... It's going to hit pretty hard even if the FDA doesn't enforce what's going on now. And I think, too, to that point, I mean, there are some large brands on that list that relied primarily solely on ABH in terms of their manufacturing. Um, and these brands are the ones available at your Walmarts and your Amazons. So, I mean, they're, those are the ones that are going to be super impacted. But to Mark's point, like we've all spoke with brands who have maybe they had a test batch done, done there of, of, a, of a soft gel capsule and came back and it didn't meet testing guidelines, so they threw it in the trash. Their name's on the list. Today, a brand came out, and there was a response that they actually never manufactured there, but they ended up on the list. There had to be a, a letter written from an attorney, and then they had to verify that, yep, it was never manufactured here. So I, it's a little sloppy <laughs> in terms of some of the stuff, but also I think the consumers just see it, and right away they're like, okay, these brands are, are bad. That's, that's not the case. Once, hopefully we get some clarification to Mark's point. No, don't get, we're all looking at the list two different ways. Mm -hmm. The way we're interpreting it and the consumer is is different from what the FDA says. The FDA just said – any product manufactured by ABH for these 859 right. has to be recalled. We all are basically thinking, okay, we have to, everything's got to be recalled. But that's not true. A lot of those companies never produce products. Right. They never did. Or they produce one batch. It doesn't affect the whole company. Some of them, like you said, yes, rely solely on it. They're gone. I yeah. mean, I don't know how you, uh, 
come back from something like that. No, I mean, and, and I, again, I don't want to name brands specifically, but it's just it, there are some several on there that are very big uh, that relied heavily on them, and it's gonna be it's gonna be an upward hill climb for them. But I think to your point, the public statement, their brands are approaching this a couple different ways. Ones that are proactive and addressing it are the way I. Kudos to them. Um, I'm, I'm happy to see that. But then there are some who don't don't want to address it because they don't really want to draw attention to the situation. Um, Mark, what would you do? They have to address it. They have, the, they have to recall their product. Now, if they look at it and they say, okay, we've never had a product in there, so they don't have to recall, so they don't have to say anything because they haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, I would address it right up front then. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies would say, no, I don't want to draw any attention to myself. Uh, I think you're drawing the, the opposite because someone's going to hit you down the line and say, right. hey, you never did anything, and then you're going to be going on the defense. You know, if my company used them and I had three batches, I would be right now saying, okay, we used them, we disqualified them, we had three batches, here are the batches, here are the numbers, we're refunding every single person right now. Yeah. I would be right up front with it. I think that's the only, the, best, the only way to ever do it. Do you guys manufacture liquid gel caps there, Mark? No. So what do you, in that case, what do you, how do you approach that? Because I didn't think you they did. This entire thing that I just went through, yep. how we audit, how we go down there, that's what we have to do. That's the only thing we do not manufacture are a couple different uh, gel caps. And have you – Process. What's that? I say through the process of finding out who, what contract manufacturer you want to go through, have right. you found ones that you disqualified? We don't have to name them, but did, oh, yeah. did you go through a list of them? I disqualify more brand, brand – um, ingredients than you can imagine, more CMOs than you can imagine, more of anything you can imagine. I mean, even ingredient companies, they hate, they hate me these days. Yeah. Because they have to follow such stringent guidelines, but they don't. And we enforce those guidelines, mm -hmm. and we, will, we won't use their products. So we have rejected or what we call disqualified more, more brands than probably we use these yeah. days. And more... Uh, vendors because let's say you're buying an ingredient from China you're not buying from China you're buying from five different vendors here right and those five different vendors know that I qualify one manufacturer I bought into that manufacturer and I want that leucine from that manufacturer if they run out of it they will then give me a product from another manufacturer they'll switch the labels around and give me the wrong documentation and I have to set my system up so that I can figure that out in advance because I haven't qualified that that happens all the time and right. I just disqualify these vendors all the time. Let me ask you, Mark, before we hop into the next kind of topic here, but how did you educate yourself on GMP, good manufacturing procedures, and like CFR 111, and understanding the do's and the don'ts of what you could, could do? Because your background wasn't in manufacturing before getting into <coughs> dietary supplements. So, I mean, you one day you, 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 you asked really what, what was in this product. You found out that what was in the product was, was, was shit, and you said, right. you know, and you stopped doing the contract manufacturing route, you started manufacturing yourself. So how did you educate yourself? Well, it was easy for me because there were no rules or regulations back then. Right. All I had in manufacturing was my passion to make sure it was the best I could do. So there was a learning curve over a number of years. CFR 111 didn't come out until 2008, wasn't really enforced in 2011. Somebody now jumping out here doesn't have that five or six years to learn what's going right. on. They have to be compliant from day one. Even at 2008, we didn't have to be compliant. We were just learning and figuring out. I had to hire consultants to come in here. I had have, I brought auditors in here to do audits and tell me what I'm doing wrong, to teach me what I'm doing wrong. It wasn't really all self-learned. Mm -hmm. We brought a lot of experts in here to tell us what to do, how to set up our lab. You know, we have millions of dollars just invested in the lab and identifying in ingredients and, and doing a lot of testing. It's not a matter of buying equipment. You have to qualify every piece of equipment, and you've got to figure out how to do it. Just right. in identity testing, we brought a PhD uh, chemist in here who spent over a year setting that up. 
If I would have just bought that machine and tried to do it on my own, I, I don't have that expertise. I have to rely on experts in each field, in formulation, in manufacturing, in production, and in the lab to help us to do that. Now that we've done it for so many years, we kind of got that down, except that those rules and regulations change every day, just mm -hmm. like the labor has changed. So what's cool about contract manufacturing is if you get the right contract manufacturer, that's their job. Right. is to follow each of these rules, regulations, watch the changes, and do it for you so you can focus on your business. I'm ending up doing both sides of that. So it was a long process to get where we go. We started manufacturing. It wasn't really what you would call manufacturing. It was just filling containers with creatine, glutamine, and unflavored protein. Very, fairly simple. Uh, and that started to move up until we now have a 60,000-square-foot facility. Uh, Which, when you guys upgraded the facility last summer... I mean, did you have to bring in? Did you bring in more consultants and stuff while you were doing these upgrades and some of the changes that you made because they were different than what you had before? No, we, we did not. We did uh, this whole upgrade was for things that we wanted that we knew right. we wanted uh, to make the facility better. We just passed a that, that that's when we just passed that CFR 111 audit, right. uh, and people said, "Oh, you're you're redoing your facility because you must have failed." And no, we didn't get a single 483 out of that four, out of that three week audit, but we had a plan scheduled rebuild the facility we just want you know we could have said oh shit we just got audited we made it we can go a couple more years but it wasn't up to my satisfaction yeah i ripped out the floors i ripped out walls i mean i, I changed filtration systems i just upgraded everything in the facility let's uh, is abh one uh, i guess i mean do, do consumers have to worry that there are gonna be more contract manufacturers that are gonna fall here i mean if the fda is starting to kind of maybe crack down a little <laughs> bit more and abh obviously is a big one do you expect more to come from this yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, if, you know, what the FDA did here. I don't know if this was a, a warning. You know, like I said, I'd never seen the FDA go in, do this, call, and do a recall of every single product going back all those years. This could be the FDA, you know, firing a shot over the bow of the industry saying, here's your warning. We just did this. This was pretty damn tough, and we're going to do it again. Or it could just be a one-off. Uh, I think the industry should look at this as the FDA saying, hey, we're, co we're, we're coming after you. We just yeah. shot your bow. You better start getting. So yeah, I'm expecting more from this. I heard that there's. Uh, like, you know, I've been saying the last few days. I think it's a really good thing for the industry, yeah. because not not just because oh, you know, we're getting yelled at now, so we're going to clean up. It's because so many brand owners that are, you know, a lot of these guys that have come out the last few years, they are passionate about. It. They're not the old older generation of guys who are just out there to make money. Yeah, they're trying to build a business, but they are passionate about the products. They really give a shit about their customers. They're really building a, a solid core business. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of them just don't understand that part of it. They don't understand that the all of these compliance and regulations have what the FDA calls it flows through. Just because one company is warehousing it and they're responsible for this GMPs there and one company is producing manufacturing and they're responsible, no. It all flows through to the brand owner. He is responsible liability-wise to the end, obviously. If that right. product hits somebody, he's going to get sued. We know that. But as far as regulation, the FDA is going to come after him or her or whoever owns that company, and the responsibility cannot be shifted. The FDA has already shown us in many warning letters and documents that you cannot put the blame on somebody else. Even if you have a contract, a management contract with the manufacturer, giving them certain responsibilities of the manufacturing GPs, it still flows back to you. The FDA doesn't care about that. Yeah. It's a flow through. So I think, yeah, we're going to see more companies uh, coming up soon. And I think a lot of brand owners now are going to look at this and say, okay, I don't want this happening to me. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. want to Because you know, look at it, it's seven years. Right. There could be one that pops up tomorrow going back five years and this great, this great brand out there that was so passionate about it, it's going to go down. 
-hmm. So, you know, the big warning here is, is not the contract manufacturers, it's the brand owners. Right. Get up and, and start looking at who's manufacturing product. Find those good guys that are out there yeah. and eliminate those bad guys. I know there's been a lot of brand owners who have been, like, uh, you know, very upset at the company and stuff, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it does fall back on your shoulders as well to do that cross-check that you were talking about earlier in terms of checking for... 43s and, and different violations from the contract manufacturer because to your point, I mean, it's smaller people coming into this industry who just want to own a supplement company. They're not doing that type of homework because they either they don't know they don't know what they're supposed to. Probably they think yeah. they think a supplement company is, is a formula and marketing and that's about it. There's a whole lot more to it. Um, yeah. Mark, let's be real. Not everybody in the industry likes you, right? Not everybody's a big fan of Mark Glazer. Um, some people are going to look at this situation and say Mark's taking advantage of the situation for personal gain with Nutribio. In terms of because you manufacture your own stuff, they're going to say that you're being unfair. Um, what do you? I, I don't think that's the case. I think that you are a man of education and trying to inform the industry more on what's going on here. But for those people who look at you and say, "Okay, you're going to use this as a marketing campaign for Nutribio," what's your response to that? Well, look, all these messages that are going out with you and other companies interviewing me. Where is it going to? It's going to all the insiders. Mm -hmm. We're not going to hit the millions of people who are buying everybody's brands. Right. This is going to that small group of bloggers and people and small group of customers that really follow you and follow a few things. It's going to hit a very small inner circle. So right. I'm not going out on TV and doing this. I'm doing the same thing I've done in the last 23 years in this industry. I'm trying to help the industry and change the industry. And you can call that virtue, whatever, whatever they call it these days where I'm out there doing it. But I, I don't believe it, you know. And I know it's not. I, I know that a lot of people are going to say that, but there's also 20 or more brands that contact me a day now asking, you know, what do I think? What should I do here? And I, and I help them. Everybody knows that any brand can call me anytime, come in here, take a tour of my facility. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you know a lot of these people, and I open my doors to any of them. Yep. Uh, I think that the growth of the industry is part of all of our responsibilities. I think we need to all get together at this point. Uh, and see what we can do to make changes. And anybody who doesn't know me is going to say, oh, yeah. You know, when I first opened my manufacturing facility all those years, everybody said, oh, he really doesn't have a manufacturing facility. He's full of shit. It's just, it's just contract manufacturer. Then people started to come in and realize that's, that's not true. And, and slowly over the years, people realized that, you know, I really do this because I have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. If people want to say that, I really don't give a shit. But a lot of people... You know, come in here and, and learn and teach me too. It's, right. it's not me. I don't, consider, I don't consider myself an expert at all. Well, I'd say that you've been preaching the same message, you know, for the longest period of time in terms of what you're doing there in Middlesex, New Jersey. And it's the fans of Nutribio who are the ones standing up saying, this is why I choose Nutribio. This is why I put my trust in Nutribio, because they manufacture their own stuff, because Mark has given us tours of the facility, because Mark tests each and every single raw that comes into that facility. Um, so, I mean, it's not even not even you. I mean, it's, it's the people who believe in Nutribio who is doing the word of mouth marketing in this case. After this came out and we posted it on social, I mean, many of the comments were, this is why I choose Nutribio. That's got to be a damn good feeling for you. It is. It's a great feeling because, you know, it's not just me. You've been here. You know the team I have. You know, people have been here for over a decade already uh, that put their heart and soul uh, into this. And when things happen that are great, they feel great. When things happen that are bad in here, you know, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. You know, mm -hmm. you look at me talking out here and I look, I remember this old movie, I forgot what it was. Uh, Chris Christopherson was explaining how he is because he was so calm, cool and collective. And he said, it's like a duck. You watch a duck going across the lake, and he's just calmly floating, like he's doing nothing, but he's moving. 
nobody looks under the water to see he's paddling like a motherfucker. Yeah. You know, underneath is totally different. My company's the same way. I'm here, I'm cool, yeah, we do everything right. I'm gonna walk out of here 10 minutes later and there's gonna be a problem out there and we're gonna have to go crazy to fix that problem to prevent the customer from getting something. So none of this is easy as it seems. Nothing is as calm as it seems. It's, it's a war every single day to make a great product. Yeah. I can't let you go without asking you a couple questions about the brand. I'm going to start with ethics. Where are we at with ethics right now? I know it was, we made the announcement last summer. Uh, you guys were making some adjustments with formulas. I see Ben over at PriceBell gets sample packs and baggies all the time. I'm jealous that he's get to try this stuff. Um, but wh- what's your anticipation in terms of ethics? I think the, within the next three months. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. We've said that a couple times. Uh, but it's, you know, it's like anything else we do here. It's got to be what we want. It's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be exact, you know. People who buy my product understand something. Like we have Maca right now. Mm-hmm. We we have five six hundred back orders on it because we can't find any Mac in the country right now that's passing Prop 65 for a normal dosage. Until we do that, until we get it, you know, we don't produce it. And our customers get used to that. Yeah. You know, we can't produce it. So you know, ethics is the same way. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of study. I, I don't just want to put products in the market that are kitchen sinks. Look at everybody else and. You know, okay, it's a pump product. We're going to just drop every single pump ingredient in there. It's yeah. got to have some legitimate science behind it. And it's got to be the right thing. So it's taking time. We probably uh, released uh, the information a little soon, uh, but we're it's coming around the corner. All right, let's talk about Nutribio. Orange Dreamsicle, uh, Classic Way just came out. It's delicious. It's really Mike, Michael did it again with the flavoring systems. Um, I've been I've been privy to some information in terms of upcoming releases and launches from Nutribio. Last year, you guys busted your ass. I mean, every week you had something going on. A little bit different to start 2020. You're able to maybe chill and relax a little bit as you're working on some of these bigger plans that you guys are coming out with. What, uh, what can you share with the listening audience in terms of what, what, what direction, what plans you have to release things here in 2020? Well, last year was a really big year, not because we introduced new products, but because we made that commitment to reflavoring everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, our flavors weren't always the greatest out there. As you know, these days, people are killing it in flavor. And if a consumer is going to buy a protein and they're using it as a macronutrient every single day, they want it to taste good. So right. we, we jumped onto that and we kind of, we're still finishing that up now, but we reflavored just about everything. Our flavors are our killers. Uh, this year, uh, not necessarily in the next month or so, but we're focusing on ethics is one thing, but we're, we're focusing on bringing some uh, general health products out, like a, a product for liver, mm-hmm. a product for heart, a product for eyes and stuff like that. And those formulations are going to be serious formulations, and they probably won't be toward the end of the year, uh, or we might release one or two along the way. So that's something big for us instead of just having all these individual ingredients that if somebody needs something specific that we can produce the best product for that so they can go out there. And we do that in sports nutrition, but we want to get more into the, the general health. Mm-hmm. We're definitely expanding our, our naturals line out there. Uh, reflavoring coming out with our <clears throat> our new vegan protein very soon, uh, which is tastes absolutely amazing. I think it's going to be the best in the industry. So we're moving in that area a little bit, uh, and then we're just going to continue like we are in the sports uh, section of it. Just it's not going to be as hardcore as it was last year, uh, but it's going to be continuous. Well, now, I mean, you got Eric over there now, so you have somebody in the, in the marketing seat. So it'll be interesting to see what you guys do in the realm of marketing and distribution, how you grow the brand. Um, I'm excited about the General Health line. Um, you mentioned a liver supplement. I will just tell people that it's going to be awesome. I, I know that much, and uh, it's a good thing. General Health has been something of interest of myself a lot lately, and I think more and more consumers are starting to realize, like, hey, we need to take care of our, our organs because those are the things that actually keep us alive. It's cool to have muscles. It's cool to shed body fat, but if your heart and liver and kidneys and all those things stop working, you're fucked. So. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple in that standpoint. So, um, 
Mark, I appreciate you coming on, talking about this ABH situation. Obviously, for those who want to look behind the scenes at Nutribio, there's plenty of videos on the Nutribio's YouTube page of, of Mark walking through the facility he had given. Literally, when I was there last time uh, for the, the customer appreciation, I think you gave like six tours that day, and I, I didn't see you from the morning until late at night. You were, you were giving tours to anybody and everybody who wanted to see. So you have never shied away from opening your doors and, and letting people see the insights of it. And now it's cool. You can walk in. You don't even have to suit up. You can actually look through the glass windows and see everything that's going on, which is pretty freaking cool. So you should feel proud, and uh, I'm stoked for 2020 for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, we brought in Eric because of uh, that last uh, podcast you did. We were- yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly why Eric got, got the job there. He's, <laughs> really, he's just all He fit right into our culture immediately, and uh, he's, he's killing it. Just some things to consider. Next time you pick up a dietary supplement from a GNC vitamin shop or you buy one online, contact your company. Ask them where they manufacture the product. Some will tell you, some won't. I mean, you can do your own due diligence at home, but at the end of the day, uh, the onus lies on the owners of the brands and for them to do their homework and their research and find out that who they're partnering with because a contract manufacturer is a partner falls on the brand. So you can point your fingers all day, you can bitch, you can moan, you can sue, you can do whatever you want, but you need to do your due diligence as a brand owner to make sure that who you partner with is a reflection of your company, and your company is your company. So we hope you guys enjoyed this show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify. You can watch via YouTube. Make sure you leave us a ranking, a rating and a review. If you can, it helps out the algorithm so more people can discover the Be Informed Live podcast. Future guests can include Cedric McMillan. Yes, Cedric McMillan, Charles Griffin, so many more here on the podcast. Looking forward to that. Um, again, if you want to check us out on Facebook, we're at Fitness Informant on Facebook. We're at Fitness Informant on Instagram, at Fitness Informant on Twitter, we're on TikTok, too, but not until next time, I am the CEO of Ryan Buckeye. Please take care. Be informed with this.